Thanks, God. So this morning I felt like, oh man, this is going to be, I'm going to be a bit all over the place. I feel like God wanted to give me a really strong word on um, revival. And then he gave me a word on family. And then he told me, why do you keep separating the two? And I thought, well, that's just kind of how I grew up. There was revival and there was family. There was church and there was family. There was ministry and there was family. And, and God so just kindly told me, he says, because she didn't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> um, I want to share this. I want to share this word, this, honestly, as humbly as I can. I, I never come up here and think I've figured out everything or like I've got the key and no one else has it. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm kind of sketchy when someone comes up and like I know something no one else has ever known. I'm like, I guarantee you someone else has known it. <laughs> For sure. Um, but at the same time, I do believe God will show me things. And this is a really fresh word for today that's important to where we're going because it's going to have everything to do with the long run. There's, there's, short, there's the short game and there's the long game. And I don't want to just build into a short game. A couple weeks ago, uh, let, I, I got to give you some dreams and some stories and see how this all comes together. Um, so last week, actually, um, first of all, big thanks to Jason Overman for speaking last Sunday. Did a great job. Great job. I was here just on the live stream. Um, we, we had a... Actually, let me back it up to the dream first. I'm sorry. I'm just, um, so I had a dream about two or three months ago. And I can't share all the details of this dream. But I had a dream, and I was pulling it into the church. No, I didn't have a dream. Tiffany had a dream. She told me about the dream. Let's get this right. We're one. Man, I felt like I had the dream. That's so weird. And uh, <laughs> Tiffany had a dream. And in this dream, we were pulling into the church, and there was, the parking lot was full of cars. And she said that we, we pulled around back. And when we got around back, she said in the back parking lot, they were having a huge like, uh, graduation for people that had went through the foundations class. And like the whole back parking lot was like a party. And then when we pulled around, there was a new building. And she said, when I looked at the building, there was like a big fellowship hall that was all glass windows. She said, when I looked in, they were having a welcome lunch, and it was packed full of people. Yeah, kind of like a cafeteria. And she said, I looked through, and everyone was having a great time. It was joyful. And and, um, some of our team waved to us like, hey, we don't need you. We're great. But it was like, it was that feeling of like things were going really well which, as a leader, kind of what you want. And, um, and then I pulled back around front, and a family member of mine was here. And I was, the family member was needing something from me. And so I went, and I, I tended to my family member, my personal family member. And I remember in the dream, like, so Tiffany woke up. She had told me all about this, and we felt like the Lord was saying, God wanted to begin to highlight the importance of family. But very specifically, not just the family at large, my family for me personally. I think pastors can often take, how do I say this, the church family, if not careful, can become more important than their family. And so I knew that this dream was going to start with my family and then transfer into the church family. And so that was a few months ago, maybe, two, three months ago. Um, it was a couple of weeks, so last week, last minute, um, like 
all of our worship leaders got sick. And Tiffany was supposed to miss last week's service and go be at my little girl's gymnastics event. And because she's competing, let me just say, she's blowing it up. She's like awesome. And, um, and so we as parents feel really strongly about being there at these events. Um, and so Tiffany had set up and scheduled for her to be gone. I'd be here. And then everyone got sick, and she's like, I can't, I can't leave. And I said, well, she's like, you're going to have to go. And I immediately faced this religious spirit. Like, I, I looked at it, and I could almost feel it. It's like, you can't do that. I'm going to be super open and honest with you guys this morning. We'll just see where this goes. I felt it. I felt like immediately something hit me, like, you're the pastor, you know, you can't go to church and stay in town. I've, it hit me. I've never actually in my whole life missed a service and been in town and not been sick. My whole life. I'm a pastor's kid, for those of you that don't know. And, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to find a way that I can go be at my little girl's gymnastics event. And so I reached out to Jason like a couple days before Sunday. I'm like, I need a favor. I said, would you speak for me? I know it's last minute. And he was super kind. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And he spoke. And so um, I'm telling you this for a reason, because it's part of the journey. And so uh, I woke up Sunday morning. I'm an early riser when I preach. I'm up at 5 a.m., latest usually. And um, I woke up at like 6 or 7. I'm like, this is wild. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is foreign to me. And I'm like sitting there, and everyone's leaving. I'm like, Bye. And uh, I'm sitting there, and me and my daughter are sitting there. I'm like, this is weird. And I said, um, let's go to breakfast, because we're up so early. Like, I'm like, let's just let me take you to a, a good breakfast before you compete. And so we went, to, uh, we went to a restaurant, and I was walking in, and I felt this religious spirit again. And so what if people see you? Now, now let, me, let me say this before all y'all start getting all these feelings. Nobody's put this on me. Nobody has put something on my shoulders. Nobody has said anything to make me feel this way. So it's not like I'm feeling this from a person in this church. This is me working through things in my heart. And so I walk in, and uh, we're there. I'm like, what if someone sees me? And the Lord's like, great. And it's put in my heart, I said, they'll know you value your family more than anything else. And so we had a great breakfast. By the way, it's really busy on Sunday mornings at restaurants. I don't recommend it. It's really busy. And um, went, got to the competition event. I'm sitting there, and all the other parents are like, what are you doing here? Kind of like, I can't believe you're here. You're, you lead a church. Not, not in a derogatory way, like surprised. And I told him, I said, well, I'm not going to miss my little girl's competition, and one of us needed to be here. And um, we had a wonderful day, and I found the Lord more working on my heart last Sunday morning than I have any other time in a very long time, working something in me about family. Some of you are expecting a major, like, glory kind of word this morning. And what I'm going to give you is going to teach us how we will steward that for generations to come. But for me, I knew God was beginning to speak to me and say, you're going to begin. And, and why was Tiffany's dream so important? Because he was telling me, he was saying, you can still take care of your family and your church will do well. That was really important. That he came and laid a foundation for me, like, 
You got it. Because there's this lie in ministry that often makes it feel like it has to be a war between family and ministry. And if you feel like if you overemphasize one or the other, you sacrifice the other. And the Lord began to speak to me and say, you can actually do both. Fast forward a little bit. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm taking you all over the time frame. Um, Years ago, years ago, when I was on staff and my dad was pastor, the Lord gave me a slogan. We decided back in, this was back when like slogans were super cool for churches. You know, like, you know, you had the name and a cool logo and a slogan. And so I was working on this whole thing. And um, I remember the Lord gave me this, this phrase. And it was bringing family and church together. It didn't get very far because I think it was premature. It wasn't God's timing. But I remember when I wrote this thing out on paper, I just, I wrote it and it came to life for me. And I looked at it and said, that's it. Bringing family and church together. And it didn't really go anywhere. And so, but it's been sitting in my heart. Fast forward now to last Tuesday morning's prayer meeting. David was there praying over me, and David said, John, I see you like Mary Poppins. (laughs) Which, by the way, I love the movie Mary Poppins. So I'm even cool with the new one, but I love the old one. And he said, I see you restoring family. Remember the movie Mary Poppins? She came to a family that was broken, and she came in, and with all of her fun and her magic and all that, she brought joy and life back to the family, and she restored the relationships in the family. Man, I feel the presence of the Lord so heavy, and it's kind of like I just want to, yeah, I feel like I just want to cry, and there's nothing sad. Um, And so, it's been sitting in my heart all week is what does it look like to actually value family, and how does that work with the church? I have three kids. All of them pretty young. Thanks, my friend. And, and if you feel like taking that air down a notch, you'd be my other friend. Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just read a passage. If you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 5. I'll give you some scriptures. I'll make all this legal for you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse, let's do 22. This is a passage that a lot of times is used out of context with control freak husbands. Oops, did I say that out loud? Um, (laughs) Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemishes, but holy and blameless. I love this actually in the Passion Translation. It says, wives, be tenderly devoted to your husbands. It's powerful, powerful imagery as the Lord is tenderly devoted to his church. 
verse 32. This is a, prof- is that right? Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Anytime you hear the Apostle Paul say something like, this is a profound mystery, there's a lot packed in there. In this passage, he's given a teaching that was meant to represent saying that, how do I say this? He's saying that your marriage, when he's talking about marriage, he said that marriage should actually be a representation of the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, I want to hit the pause button right here, because anytime I start moving down this road, people that have had a divorce or people that are not married, they all start to let their mind go crazy. And let's just say this, there's no condemnation in this room. But I have to set the standards that are in the Bible. And he's setting a standard for us that we want to attain to. So no condemnation in the room. So just run with me. Paul is trying to paint this picture and say that your marriage should be a clear representation of how Christ interacts with the bride of Christ. Which is a great place as, if you're married in this room, to say how well am I representing the church and and the Christ in their relationship. It's always a good question to ask. In the same way, though, your family, your family unit, you know, the father, the son, again, if you're a single mother, single father, no condemnation. But according to the standard, a family unit would have been, you know, a father and a mother and children. That family is meant to represent the family of God. Yeah. So the same way that a f- mother and father would represent Christ in the church, the family is to represent the family of God. You with me? Everything kingdom, everything was meant to be experienced in the context of family. Everything. Your Bible was inspired and breathed on in the context of family. This is really important that you understand this. Because when we get things away from family, we begin to have a problem. Like I said, my growing up, my upbringing, no fault of my parents, it's just part of kind of the denominational model that we were a part of growing up, was very much like family here, ministry here, don't let the two touch each other, or you'll end up sacrificing one for the other. And so it was like there was a great divide between the two. But it makes it really hard if the family and the church are not working in unison to understand what Paul's talking about. It also makes it hard for some of you to understand anything I'm talking about if you grew up in a dysfunctional family. And I understand that. And so some of people, when I start talking about different aspects, I can feel the walls come up. So like, I didn't grow up with that. The good news is he's the redeemer of all things. And so even if you didn't grow up with that, he can do something in your heart that redeems it and restores it to the point where you get to operate from a place as though you did. Because he brings you into the family of Christ and it is every bit as real as your family here on earth. But the reality is once we begin doing ministry outside of a relationship, we've actually disqualified ourselves to do ministry. Relationship qualifies you in a sense to speak into people. So good, man. Come on. 
I, I know someone that had recently had, they'd been going through kind of a mind battle. I don't know if I'm supposed to be your pastor or if I'm supposed to be your friend. And, and uh, someone else had given them some very, very strong wisdom. They said that if you're not willing to be their friend, you're not qualified to be their pastor. We're going to take this thing on head on this morning because I want to bring the importance of family into this. We got to get this. Here in Ephesians, Paul is describing this picture of the kingdom of God. I want you to step out of 2020 for a moment and just kind of go back to when he's writing this. I want, you to, I want you to get into the moment, because here he is. He's speaking to folks that their concept of, like, God coming as a father was absolutely foreign. Like, they, their, their thoughts of the Savior coming was like, he's going to come. He's going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world, which, in a sense, he did. But he didn't do it like they thought he would. And here he comes, a baby born into the humblest of beginnings. And he raises up to be the humblest man that's ever walked the face of the earth. That in Isaiah said, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Next time you feel the need to defend yourself, go read that scripture. I read it almost weekly. Somebody says something and I'm like, "Mm, mm, that's it. I'm going to get you, Facebook. The Psalms has a really, really, in Psalms, there's one thing I've learned, pause. In the Psalms, pause. You know how much wisdom was in those pauses? When he would be, oh, the world's against me, pause in his presence. But then I came into the house of the Lord. So many people would just hit the pause button and say, what are you saying about this? When he was describing this, this Jesus, God as the Father, it was completely foreign to them. It was offensive. <laughs> but he came, Jesus came as our Father. What does that mean? One family, one dad. He was establishing family. He said, our father. Things can go off the rails quickly in a local church when we leave the model of family. Because then we just become an organization. And if we aren't careful, we can replace the grace of mothers mothers and fathers with titles. And how, how they can, how they, um, how, what we can end up with is a lot of control and manipulation. Because a father and a mother want to see their child learn how to make good decisions. Someone who is operating out of a title will use, if not careful, control just to get their agenda taken care of. One empowers Jesus was trying to get this across that I need family. All the time is family, 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 family. <laughs> Fruit can quickly become replaced with the, uh, how do I say this? 
In family, life will happen. Life happens. It just does. It's a natural byproduct of being in a family is there's life. I love going out with my family. Those of you that have families, if you don't have a family, we will find you a family. You are in a family, and we will find you a smaller unit of family that you can be in that family because everyone should have family. Last night, I had the opportunity. Like, I just felt like the Lord, again, he's got me on this journey with my kids, and he's like, John, what do you do with like, your special guests and all of them that come to church? I'm like, I take them all in a nice place. He's like, do with your kids. So last night, I took him to the restaurant that I take my special guests to, and then I took him and got him dessert afterwards, and I enjoyed all this, by the way. And, and, and oh, Amelie's, whew, all right. My, my little girl's eyeballs just go, whoa, because she's like head level with all the desserts, and she's like, <laughs> and, so, and so I take him out, and we go to, a, we go to a, like a Japanese steakhouse, the fire and the flames and all that stuff. And like we, are, we just have the best, greatest time. And what happens? Life is happening in my family. I feel it. I can feel it. I can feel when death tries to come in, too. I can feel it. But I felt last night, I said, there's life. You feel it. It's just life. It's life. It's life. Family produces life. It It happens. It just does. Life finds a way. One of my favorite movies, and, and I hope it's okay, but I love Jurassic Park. Like, I, I sweat the first one, like, like Jurassic Park number one. And I love this one statement in the movie that the, the intellectual doctor, he says this thing. He says, life always finds a way. When you have in a church, life, it's the nature of the body of Christ wants to find a way. It will find a way. When we create, though, the right atmosphere for life, there will be a lot of life happening. And God said the context of everything was meant to be family. Flip over now to Psalms, chapter 68. Psalms, chapter 68. Are you with me? Psalms uh, chapter 68, verse 5, says that he is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Now, pause there. Most people, like, take that scripture, which is an amazing scripture. Amazing. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows and God is God in his holy dwelling. But read on. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Now, I guess that could be interpreted a couple different ways. But I like to see it as God is the one leading and singing. He leads out the prisoners with singing. <laughs> I think some of our view of God has gotten a little wonky over the years. Like, we've seen too many Christian bookstore paintings of God. Like, first of all, he's not white with blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong, I guess, but I highly doubt it. And um, he is a lot more joyful than I think we know he is. I think he is the one that wants to sing to us. 
you, you guys get to echo back the song that he sings to you when you come in and worship, but he's singing over you. He's dancing over you. It says, I think in Zephaniah, maybe 317. Oh man, thanks Jesus. It says that he is spinning over you with joy. That literally means, that means that he, the most literal definition I found is he's twirling like a top. How many of you just see Jesus just in worship, just doing this? Yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think we just see him like still on the cross sometimes. And he's like, man, I have risen. You died with me and you rose with me. And now we get to celebrate. <laughs> and here he is. He celebrates. He takes the lonely. He says, I will put you in a family. Why? You need to be in a family. You need to be in a family. One of the things I appreciate so much about um, Craig and Duino, who, who have served just faithfully as community life directors, is their value for relationship. The first thing that they, they often face is, is folks that want to know, well, what events are you going to do for me? And as Edwina has at least shared with me, she said, my heart's not to be a a social events coordinator. (laughs) Not that we're against those events, but we want to actually create family. And I have just learned that typically family isn't created at one-time events. Family can come together and enjoy those events, but that's not where family's created. The organizational church model will only get you so far. Don't get me wrong, it can build a gigantic church. But I don't know that it can build necessarily a gigantic family. Let me, let me present to you a thought that maybe, maybe you've never considered. How does, what does this have to do with Revival. Revival is only sustainable through family. It's been proven. Revival is only sustainable through family. If we attempt to host revival outside of family, it becomes reliant upon meetings. There's only so many meetings you'll go to. There's only so many meetings I'll go to. (laughs) And I lead the church. Why? Because I have a family. But here's the thing. This is actually the model we're familiar with, revival services. And that's the context of revival. Actually, if I was to really strip it back to what we're familiar with, revival is around the concept of sin and sinners getting saved, which means that you're using sin as the fuel for the revival. And it's in the context of activities. That's how we know revival. But what would it look like if the fuel of revival was identity in the Lord and it was hosted in the context of family? You see the difference? Fueled by sin or fueled by identity in Christ versus hosted in services versus hosted in family. 
Now, I want to hit, I'm going to hit the pause again because some of you are thinking, oh, that means we're never going to have more services. That's not what I'm saying. The reality is, is as family grows, there will be a birth of more services, but that's not what's sustaining it. It's not. It's not what it's built upon. It's built upon family. Now, part of the fruit from that is going to be more services because there's more people. I don't know if you've noticed, but some weeks around here, there's only about 20 seats left open. That's a great problem. Now, this morning, you have the joy of, <laughs> I was going to say the joy of people being sick. That sounds terrible, though. Like, like, people are out because of sickness and other things. And there's a little bit more room in this room. But God, God is moving. People are hungry. And so I realize what's coming. And I see these things. I see, way, I see things down the road that excite me. But here's the thing that he's really, really working into my heart is that you won't sacrifice family to have more services. You won't sacrifice family to have a growing church. Stop dividing the two. You won't sacrifice family to have revival. What I'm saying is, is you can't sustain a revival outside of family. When you take an outpouring of the Spirit and you put it in the right context, it thrives. There's only there's certain plants you you know, if you go to different climates, you guys would know there's certain plants you can't really grow in our climate. They don't grow well. You might be able to grow them. You might be able to keep them going for a while. If you work really, 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 really hard to water them and baby them and take care of them, you might keep them alive for a while. But ultimately, they're not designed to live in that climate. I could work really, 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 really hard. And my team could work really, 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 really hard to create something that would live in services and activities. But it has an expiration date because that's not how God meant it to operate. If you look at the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts, that's the first one I can point you to. The first thing that happened was that they grew, and then they grew in numbers, and they grew in fellowship. (laughs) Yes, and, not or. An outpouring of the Spirit is meant to operate in family. It's meant for you to go home with your family or your spouse or your children and sit in your home, and the presence of the Lord is right there with you. It's meant to go out. Let me tell you what I feel like we're in for this year. This is what I'm seeing, the pictures coming together. Um, last year, my wife and I went through a really, really challenging year. With the matter of fact, we're coming up on about a year of the loss of her dad, and it was just a challenging year. And how many know when you go through big challenges, it exposes a lot of other things in your life yeah. that actually don't even really have anything to do with that situation, you just find all this other stuff that comes up, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And so much of this time last year through the end of the year was us working through stuff in here. And God was so gracious to keep us strong. I look back, I'm like, wow, he was strong in my weakness. Like, I look back and even think in my head, like, I mean, even the timing, he was so gracious. This is right about when David came on staff, and it was like, I see his hand in all of it. Like, I got you, son. I'm bringing in help. And, but I look at it, and I saw it, 
And then I see at like the beginning of this year, I see a bunch of people in the church are going through the same thing I went through last year. I'm watching it. Now, I came into this year and I'm, I, I feel like I feel really good. Like, I'm like, thank you, God. Like, we're out of that. But a lot of times what I get to go through, <laughs> I hate to tell you, you get to go through next. And I see it happening. And I see it happening throughout this body, all over. In my leadership team, in the house, I see it all over. People are going through this stuff. What is it? It's, it's, it's a testing. But he's not testing you to show how, how you fail. He's testing you to show you how strong you are. When you go by a, a fishing line, you know that it's got a 20-pound test, 40-pound test. What does that mean? That it has been tested and it can hold that much. God doesn't test you to say, oh, you failed. He's showing you in your heart, this is about where you're at, but we can go higher. <laughs> you can go higher. And so I got to go through this season of like going higher and higher and higher. And then I saw 2020 rolled around and everyone else started saying the same things I felt last year. I'm like, oh, it stinks for you, but it's really good. Because like, <laughs> I've been there, but this is amazing that you get to now grow through this. But here's what I see. God is going to do, you mark my words, you remember this sermon, you write it down, you'll go back to this and you'll remember something started this morning because there's going to be an outpouring of people that are going to get saved and that are hurt, that are going to begin coming into this church. And God said, I want to put my lost in a family, but I'm too good to put them in an unhealthy family. And he said, I want to put them in a healthy family because they need it. Don't take that wrong that you got to be perfect. He wants to get us as healthy as we can because I started saying, God, wait a minute, I'm feeling like health, evangelism. Like usually there's just seem to, they feel like they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, like often it feels like a pastor and an evangelist are like from here to here. But God began to show me how they work together and he said, I'm going to bring them in and put them in your family. But he said, I need you to have a healthy family, which is why I'm working on the hearts. I'm working on the hearts. I'm working on the hearts of the adults, of the teens, of the kids. He said, you watch, people are going to get healthy. And he said, when it happens, I'm going to begin dropping people right into the middle of that healthy family and watch, naturally, they get pulled up. They just get pulled up. You remember it. I can say with all confidence in my heart that I know he's getting ready to do it. I also embrace where I'm at. I embrace where he has us. But when he pours out his spirit, he wants to do it in family. Because that's where it thrives. That's where, that's where when you guys get together outside of these services, you have revival. That's where you have revival in coffee houses. Some of you have only thought of revival in the context of services week after week after week after week. That just wears me out. But I love it in my family. I love it when I see my kids experiencing his presence. I love it when I see it, that I know that, hey, it's happening. You, know, you want to know why I honestly... I honestly think that, how do I say this? I don't want to be taken wrong. A fear that can be behind leaders that they feel like they need to keep having services sometimes is they feel like it's going to stop if they don't. Like, like we got to have another service. But what would happen if it just intensifies week after week in your homes? 
in your times together. And then you come back in and you're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. I'm telling you, I've been a part of outpourings that were based on services and they can only go so long. The, the people that they go through, they burn them out quick. And many of them don't ever even want to go back to church. But you see, when revival's happening at home, when we come together, it's just the overflow of the revival in your house and in your community and in your friends. This is how we sustain a move of God. This is how. I believe it with all my heart. I want to tell you a story and I'll wrap it up. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, yeah. The who? That's why I'm going to tell you this story. If you remember the story of King David growing up, King David had a best friend. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. The relationship between these two guys was incredible. It was a covenant relationship, and I'll talk about that in a minute. It was a covenant relationship, and it was one where they could recognize the grace in each other. To the point where Jonathan recognized the grace and the anointing so strong on David that he said, you're going to be king. I'm in line to be king. You'll be king. That's big. I said king. Like he was acknowledging the grace and the anointing on David's life and saying, you're the one that'll be king. These guys were close. You know the story when, when David began to rise and the anointing began to rise up on David, he began to do things that he was just an incredible warrior, just an incredible warrior. And then the city began to see, you know, David was a warrior and, and, and people began, the Bible says that, that the people began to sing his praises and they began to sing this song around town. You know, David's, uh, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is 10,000s. That kind of annoyed King Saul. And he went into a spiral Oh, I'm going to kill you now. So from all of a sudden, this, this gracious relationship, this terrible insecurity and deep issue in Saul's heart was addressed, and now he said, I'm going to kill you. Now, things are getting weird because, you know, his son and David are best buds. My son, I don't know where he's at, Ethan, and yeah, and are you sitting next to Daniel? Of course. <laughs> They're best buds. Okay, it would be a problem if Eric all of a sudden said to Ethan, I'm going to kill you. It would probably challenge the friendship. <laughs> By the way, I leaned over to Ethan in worship today, and we're singing my favorite worship song, that Hallelujah, You're My Defender song, and that one line is like, I came back with the head of my enemy. I lean over to Ethan. I'm like, is that not the coolest line in a worship song ever? And he's like, yes. You don't get to sing that one. He's a 13-year-old boy. You guys get it. And so (laughs) she was singing twice for you. There you go. And, And so these guys are best buds. But all of a sudden, King Saul has an issue with David. So David has to go on the run for his life. And um, fast forward, okay? Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. 
It's not an easy one to say. Mephibosheth. Through, the, through one of the military uprisings, the servant that was responsible for the young child, Mephibosheth, grabbed him and took off to protect him and dropped him. And from what we understand, broke his legs. They didn't have medical procedures like we did, so he grew up and he was lame. They just grew what they grew. Fast forward from there, King David now steps in. And King, here comes King David, and he says, so King Saul and his son, Jonathan, were killed in the same battle. They both died. So now King David's in. And this is powerful. I heard this, this actually from a guy named Dick Mills taught on this. He said, David came in as king, and he said, I want you to find if there's anyone in this land that is related to Jonathan, his best friend. So they went out, and they said, we found somebody. It's his son. His name is Mephibosheth. And so David says, bring him here. Now, I want you to hold on a second because in the transference of kingdoms in that culture, he probably thought he was being brought in to be killed. It wasn't like, I imagine when he got the call, the king wants you. It's like, oh boy. (laughs) And so here comes Mephibosheth and he comes and, and, and I'm filling in some of the gaps, but I can tell you this much. The Bible says that he gave him acres and acres of land for crops. He gave him servants. What did he do? King David restored to him everything that was the right through his inheritance through his father who'd been killed. And he restored it to him. One catch. David said, you can have servants, you can have houses, you can have land, you can have anything you want. All of it's restored to you. There's only one thing I ask. I ask that you have every meal at my table. And something that Dick Mills teaches, he said, you want to know what's powerful? As he said, when you sit down at the king's table, your lameness is covered. When you sit at the table of family, your lameness is covered. He told him, he said, I just want you to sit with me and just eat with me. It's the heart of God in that. This is why God had a soft spot in his heart for David. Whoever would think like that, like, I want to restore what he lost. Sit at my table. We don't see your lameness at my table. Now, here we are, new covenant. God will heal all that lameness. But in the process, you can bring your lameness and sit at the table of family. And they don't see that. I don't know about your family. My family's not perfect, but when we sit around the table together for a holiday, we do not focus on all the weaknesses. We don't. We got issues, just like your family. But we don't sit there and focus on everyone's weakness. There's something about sitting around the table that changes things. We're coming into the political season. We don't, we don't say, who are you voting for? (laughs) 
If there is one thing that I have found that the spirit of division likes to use a whole lot, it's politics. And I'm going to say this one piece, and I'm done. I learned this from, um, actually, it was an email that I sent to somebody, and it's kind of a cool story. They forwarded my email to Bill Johnson, and then he forwarded back an answer to me about something. I didn't expect it to go to him, but it was about him, so I could see why he wanted to answer it himself. And he said something in the email that I'll never forget. He said, John, he said, the spirit of division doesn't care at all what it divides over. It just divides. It'll, it'll bring division between two good things. It just divides. And so when you're dealing with the spirit of division, be aware. But when I come around that table, we don't talk about that stuff. We celebrate each other. When Mephibosheth sat at that table, he was no longer a lame individual that had been cast out. He probably, I mean, I can't imagine in that culture, he was probably just in for death. I mean, being a part of the regime that was just being replaced and being lame, I don't see how he would have survived. But David said, your family, your dad was my best friend. Come sit at my table. I believe that's what Psalm 68 was talking about. The concept of family helps us adjust to see people who God's called them to be and sometimes not just who they're not. We see people for who they're not. And family, they see you for who you are. It's just, it just changes your lens. I mean, you see it with people that you see it with somebody that grew up with a family member in their family that maybe they had a sibling or someone in the family that had special needs. When they're around people with those special needs, it doesn't bother them. Because in family, they've become to know who that person is. You ever seen that? They have a grace for it because they've known them through the context of family. Parents, you're, you're, you're on a, a jet, you're on an airplane, and some kid is wigging out. You see it differently than someone that has never had a kid. First of all, if you're like me, I don't even notice it. I'm like, that's just, it's just a little kid. I don't hear it. Or if I finally do hear it, I am overwhelmed with compassion for that parent. As you look at them, they're like, I can only go so far. We're in a tube at 30,000 feet in the air. I have nowhere else to go. What happens? You, people that have had kids, you have changed your lens and how you see that through the context of your family. Yes. Things change in family. I could go hang out around people all the time at a service, but it's different if my family member has that. There's things that are in my family line. I won't talk about them because they're private, just different things that... Um, when I see someone else has it, it doesn't bother me. And I can see it and I can spot it. It doesn't bother me. I see through that. Why? Because I have learned to love it in family. You see the difference? Let's wrap this up.
God knew that organization wouldn't do that. (laughs) Jesus. He knew the only way this would work was in the context of family. I'm going to put one more thought out there for you to chew on. I believe that covenant relationships are meant to be for life. I believe our church culture has robbed us of that. Where our relationships are based on what church you go to. I believe that covenant relationships are meant to be in all your your life. Like you always are their friend. The spirit of division and mainly the religious spirit will tell you, well, if there's disagreements... That's where that division comes in. I don't see this a lot, to be honest with you. Matter of fact, especially if I could just be honest, in my generation, I really don't. I'm I'm a little concerned about it. I see it more than people that are about 30 to 40 years older than me. I see more of it. But I, I... I believe that when God connects us with people, that when he says in Psalm 68, I'll place you in a family, family is not temporary. Your family, your real family is life. I don't think his family is any less family. And when he places you in that family, he means it for life. Now things happen. I've seen people cut off from families. And it hurts. He will restore your heart, though. Again, there's no condemnation. I've seen that happen. I've seen people cut off from relationships they shouldn't have been cut off from. And he can restore all things. But his heart, again, is our standard. I I have to speak from the standard. I can't adjust it to what our culture has gotten to. And his standard is that family is for life. Relationships are for life. Those of you that are, have covenant close friends in this room, see yourself doing life with them when you're 90. I'm serious. Um, Edwina made a, a joke to me. Uh, not a joke. She said something recently. She's like, I could see... Like David and Elizabeth and, and Craig and I, like 95 years old, rocking in rocking chairs on a beach house that we bought together, which I was offended that I was not involved. But <laughs> I'm guessing it's because I have a bigger beach house next to you. So, <laughs> oh no, but I loved it when she said that. I, I just, I thought, that's kingdom. That's kingdom that we're seeing long term. I'm not caught up in, in short term. I want to see long term. And some of you, some of you, some of you have been so ingrained with the organizational model that you can't see that far out. All you're worried about is the now. I am not that worried about now as much as I'm not worried. I'm not overly focused on now as much as I want to be focused where we're going. And I know we can't get there without doing it in family. Because when the people come in that rub you wrong. If you're not looking through the context of family, you won't embrace them. And leave it to God to put what you need in that person that rubs you wrong. 
you know how many people have come up to me on a Sunday morning and said, I got a word for you? I'm like, my spirit's like, I don't want to hear it. Because it's someone that just, oh, rubs me wrong. And they'll say it, and I'm like, oh, it's just what I was praying for. And God's like, what are you going to do about that? I'm like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, the person that like, doesn't know all the right ways to do it, you know, and they just do it anyways, and God's using it, you're like, that's definitely spot on. Like, like you slaughtered it getting there, but like, that is spot on what you just said to me. And God's like, that's your family. That's your family. You got to learn somewhere, and the, you got to begin to see him through his eyes which is my biggest prayer. God, all right, I need to see them through your eyes because my eyes are not working. Let's stand up. This will be a morning to remember. You mark my word, I feel it. Mm. I feel it's a morning that's going to set the course for some things. Hmm. All right, I'm going to pray a few things over you, and then I'll call the prayer team up. But let's just see where this goes. The first thing I want to do is just kick out any spirit of religion that makes you feel like you have to separate the two. And actually can make you feel guilty if you over-focus on your family instead of, especially those of you that are called to the ministry. I want to release that off of you. So let's pray that. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing. You're so good. You're coming to restore family. If, You're coming to restore family, and we get to be a part of it. I can't think of a greater privilege than being a part of a house that's restoring family. Amen. Not just as a cool slogan. It's really happening. I pray over those of you right now that have felt torn. There's going to be a lot of people that watch this video online, too. That you feel torn as if you were to... Um, Maybe you're like me. If I miss a Sunday to be with my family or something like that, you feel guilty. I free you from that. I free you from that. He's a good father. And he wants you to be a good father and a good mother. And so I release you from the burden that would make you think you have to choose one over the other. Oh, man, yeah, I feel this. I need to back it up even more. For those of you that um, your parents didn't choose you, they chose ministry. I feel that pain right now. I can feel it in the room. Oh, man, thank you, God. You're, you're pointing that out because you want to heal it. I pray over you right now, pray over your heart that you would release them. Those of you that feel that, uh, you actually need to release them. You can just say uh, under your breath or whatever, I just... Um, I release mom or dad or whatever. I just release them from that. I release them. Brother, sister, whatever that might be. I release them from that. Yeah, there it is. And feel it lift off. And feel God's value for you now. You're so valuable. 
See, what happens is some of you will go the opposite way. And God is bringing this together. Fathers and mothers, I release over you the heart of God the Father. That you, <laughs> you can find him, I'm telling you. I found him so much last Sunday in my absence from this amazing place. I found him. And this is so contradicting to what is talked about. But it's needed. He wants you to find him in your family. Some of you, he wants you to find him in your little girls, your little boys. He, you'll find him there. You'll find him there. So I release you to find him in family. There is no conflict. Now I bless you with an outpouring of his presence in you, in your life. Again, uh, if you're in this place and you're single and don't have much family, you are in this. You are in this. I release an outpouring of his presence over you. He's healing hearts. (laughs) I thank you for the call in this house. I thank you for the call that I feel is being stirred up. I thank you for all of the ones that are going to come through those doors but not just come through those doors, the ones that as you carry revival that you see in the grocery store and in the restaurant and in the coffee house, as you carry revival to those that will never come through those doors, you get to carry it to them. (laughs) Yeah, I release that on you. how deep that is like it's so deep in this room right now some of you are going to keep releasing this like I literally feel like I, I saw this this morning I saw a balloon being deflated and I couldn't figure out what it was and I still like see a balloon being deflated and what it is is I feel from some of you as you continue to release this to the Lord I feel like you going oh, like it's come it's like it's just being released and some of you is going to keep going like all day, all week. You're just going to keep releasing it. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful. Parents, I pray over you. Oh, yeah. I just break off all the ideas that you're a bad parent. And, <laughs> and I just remind you of who God says you are. <laughs> And you are more than an overcomer. You are filled with all of his gifts. You are filled with all of him. There is no separation in Christ. He is in you and you are in him. And even if you've messed up a little bit from here to there, it is not beyond his touch of redemption. So I pray that he would restore all things right now. I pray that you would be, you are, <laughs> you are a representation of Christ to your children. And there's no, there's no, heavy burden in that it's an opportunity so receive that it doesn't matter if your kids are growing up either you get to keep doing that I just bless you amen